Hello and welcome to the Oxford Police Pod. This afternoon I'm your host, Baudouin Dentin, and we are delving into the question of social policy teaching done by the Vatican, the Catholic Church's bodies, and the impact they have on policymaking. We want to understand what the major lines of the social teaching of the Church are, and what role church and religions in general have in the life of a polity. How can they be a lever for attaining policy goals such as the ecological transition or conflict resolution, for instance. And for this discussion, we are very fortunate to have a deeply experienced guest with us here. I will firstly introduce Professor Jostrom Kuritdam. Uh, welcome and good afternoon, Professor. Thank you. Delighted to join you. <laughs> so, you are an Indian Catholic priest and an academic, and you are currently heading the ecology section of the Dicastry for Integral Development. You are also the Chair of Philosophy of Science at the Salesian Pontifical University in Rome. In the past, you have been a researcher in Oxford, and you are the author of numerous books on ecology, in the aftermath of the Laudato Si encyclical. Good afternoon. And then we have uh, Professor Gerard Powers. Welcome, Professor. Thank you for having me. So you are the director of Catholic Peacebuilding Studies at the Kroc Institute for International Peace Studies at the University of Notre Dame in the US. And you are a very senior and respected scholar when it comes to religion, conflict, and peace building, with an extensive uh, fieldwork experience in uh, Colombia, Congo, and the Philippines, amongst others. You are currently head of the Catholic Peace Building Network, which uh, includes bishops' conferences, universities, development agencies, and other peace organizations from around, around the whole world. Um, so welcome again. Thank you. Since both of you work with uh, the Catholic Church, you have some uh, some credibility from both your academic uh, career um, to to explain to us that the um, well well the influence that that the church has on on public policy or that that it should have. And um, since in this post podcast we are highly interested not only in, in theoretical policy but also on on how. Uh, policy is done in practice, uh, we think that, that this, will, this will be a, a highly interesting discussion. Maybe as a first introduction, uh, could you briefly explain to our audience how the Vatican is structured and organized when it comes to social policy and what words such as dicasteries, pontifical academies or bishop conferences uh, do stand for? Uh, certainly, Boudouin. Maybe I, I can begin. Uh, once again, so happy to join you from the Vatican Dicastery for promoting integral human development. Uh, maybe we can begin on a note of skepticism, the famous question that Joseph Stalin is supposed to have asked uh, President Roosevelt in 1945 uh, when it, they were discussing whether the Pope should also be involved in the peace process after the Second World War. Uh, and uh, and uh, Stalin just asked bluntly, how many divisions does the Pope have? You know, the, Pope's have, have, uh, the Pope doesn't have an army or so what is his real influence? Now, working at the Vatican for a few years now, uh, I realize 
that the, the Pope, that the Vatican does have an, an influence. I think it's, it's in being a religion because religions embrace the entire humanity. They are not conditioned by you know, certain geographical regions. The Catholic Church, for example, is almost all over the world. And religions also uh, cut, uh, go beyond uh, space and time boundaries. You know, I'm also moved to speak from here at the Vatican. Um, and uh, this afternoon, I, I was also at the St. Peter's Basilica, passed by the tomb of St. Peter, you know, this fisherman who was chosen by Jesus to head to be the, uh, the first among the, the 12 apostles. Uh, that, he's, he, that he came to Rome, preached uh, the message of Christianity, preached Jesus, and, and he was martyred, he was buried in, uh, here at the St. Peter's Basilica. And that, uh, the, uh, that this is an organization that has lasted, you know, nearly two, remained like, you know, over millennia, nearly 2,000 years, you know. So that is the, the sense of marvel, you know, with which I would like to begin. Now, coming to the second part of your question, how is the Catholic Church organized? I would say at least at three levels. Uh, first of all, uh, he be, at the Vatican, we have what we call the Holy See. Uh, that's where the Pope is. And uh, all the offices, all the people who are there around the Pope uh, to assist the Pope. And uh, in our case today, it's Pope Francis. And uh, he's assisted by the Vatican Secretary of State, then, like in any government, we would have ministries, and uh, we call them here dicasteries. You know, historically they were called by different names. Uh, just before Pope Francis, uh, we used to speak of the pontifical councils, the congregations, and, and many of these offices. And uh, just uh, last year, Pope Francis introduced uh, a new constitution called Predicate Evangelium on the reform of the Roman Curia. Now, all these are called uh, dicasteries. And there are different dicasteries, like the dicastery for bishops, the dicastery for evangelization, the dicastery for education, the dicastery for families. I work in the dicastery for promoting integral human development that Pope Francis established on the 1st of January 2017. So that's the level of the Vatican, all these offices at the service of the Pope uh, to promote uh, the, the policies, the thinking, the contribution that the Vatican can make, both for the, not just for the church, but for the entire world. And the Secretary of State, for example, has embassies around the world. It's very interesting. Vatican is probably the, you know, the institution or the organization that is uh, the oldest, some of the oldest embassies in the world, like, you know, because it was a way of connecting with the local churches first, then came with the governments. So, then the second level we have what we call dioceses. So there is what we call the College of Bishops, of which the head is the Pope, but he is uh, assisted by the College of Bishops. So it's usually the Pope who chooses appoints bishops, and there are bishops. You know, we have dioceses 
in all over the world uh, and uh, especially at the second vatican council the dioceses come together uh, at the national level like in the us the us bishops conference the brazil the brazilian bishops conferences but also they can also come together as regional bodies if the country is very big then they come together I think of the california the bishops conference of california for example then at so the third we, yeah so can we say that that um, national bishop conferences are kind of a, of the level uh, in between dioceses uh, on a on a defined territory and and the vatican um, in in the holy see Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it's, it's a very good question because canonically, like um, they have a status, but it's it's not exactly like um, as a, um, as an official. Yeah, still after Second Vatican Council, they were encouraged, but usually the Pope deals with the bishops, you know, with each diocese, and uh, and the national right. conferences are supposed to facilitate it. It's also because, you know, one area, one country would have its own challenges, its own problems. So it's again the uh, with the intention of, you know, being effective in that area. Uh, so it is not exactly, yeah, so it will be somewhere in between to, to facilitate this rapport. And uh, uh, it's not just diocese, you know, diocese are organized, as we know, in parishes. And that's where I think the strength, especially of the Catholic Church, you know, we have uh, our parishes with the local communities, they all come under the local bishop, obviously. So there is uh, uh, sort of unity uh, with, uh, with the global church headed by the Pope, representing St. Peter, then the dioceses where each bishop, let's not forget it, is a successor of the apostle, of the apostles. Uh, then the, the the various parishes, the local communities that really make up the diocese. And, and, and then from your perspective, um, Professor Powers, uh, you, you are working at, at the level of uh, the U.S. Uh, Conference of Bishops. How, how What is the perception of, of, of the structure and, 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 and the power influence of, of, uh, of the church uh, more, more at the level of, of dioceses? So I worked for almost 18 years for the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops, which is about representative of 400 active and retired bishops in the United States. And, uh, and I was director of their uh, Office for National Justice and Peace the last six of those years. Um, but let me... I think that, let me try to tie some of this together and where the bishops' conferences fit. Um, the way I see it, the church is a hierarchical institution in its teaching and its appointment of bishops and the like, um, as Father mentioned. But it is quite decentralized, perhaps surprisingly so, in its operations. And let me just give you an example. South Sudan has been embroiled in an internal conflict since 2011 soon after it became independent. So at, at the parish level and at the diocesan level, uh, there are a number of cases where the parish priest or lay people involved in the parish and their bishop have worked with local tribal leaders to negotiate local ceasefires and to encourage reconciliation among these warring factions. Uh, Meanwhile, the Conference of Bishops, and in that case, it's different from most countries because the Conference of Bishops covers both Sudan and South Sudan, so it covers two countries. Mm-hmm. But they are, they are working with and other religious leaders to support 
the official peace negotiations between the government and numerous rebel groups. And those official negotiations are being facilitated by a lay Catholic organization called Senegidio that's based in Rome and works very closely with the Holy See. And then finally, you have uh, Pope Francis, who played a major role in convincing the parties uh, to start these negotiations in the first place when he and the Archbishop of Canterbury and the moderator of the Presbyterian Church in Scotland uh, convened a retreat at the Vatican for the South Sudan leaders about three years ago. And he and the Archbishop of Canterbury and the Presbyterian moderator uh, will be going to South Sudan in February on an historic visit. And one of the main purposes of that visit uh, will be to try to revitalize those peace, those formal peace talks uh, that began in part at the behest of, of, the, of the Pope and the Archbishop of Canterbury mm-hmm. uh, when they had the retreat three years ago. So uh, when the church is functioning at its best, those many different levels of church and including other other bishops' conferences that are involved in trying to promote peace, like the U.S. bishops are very involved in South Sudan, when the church is working at its best, those different levels and different actors within the church uh, work together uh, to for the same purpose, which in this case is to promote peace in South Sudan. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, that is very enlightening. And um, in in how influences the church uh, as an institution when, when it comes to those peace building, for instance, in South Sudan or, or elsewhere, is it is it effective for, for shaping new social values, norms, morality, or, or, or is it um, uh, influential because it's it's more neutral politically? Or in your experience, what what is um, what is the lev- the main lever of of, uh, of influence of the church? I would say that there are multiple dimensions, and it depends on the particular context. But for example, uh, in, with respect to peace, the Catholic, you, you have first beliefs, the teachings and sort of the spirituality and the, the rituals, the sacramental uh, dimension of, of the faith. Uh, second, you have the people power of the church. That's a secular word, but uh, the people power of the church. And third, you have the fact that the church, is, as Father mentioned, is present throughout the world. Um, and it's one of the world's, perhaps the world's largest transnational institution. So it's both present at the local remote remote spots all over the world, but it's also this transnational institution. And so the, and the, the teachings and the spirituality and the sacramental imagination of the church can play a very important role in providing a moral vision about peace, uh, a moral framework for what a peace should look like. Um, and also the kind of intangible things that, that say, the UN or other political and secular actors don't provide, which is um, spirituality, which can be dis- play a distinctive role in peace building, or concepts of forgiveness and reconciliation and healing that are very rich concepts in, the, in many religious traditions. Um, and they go much further than, say, a political conception of reconciliation that you might get through the UN Peace Building Commission. And, but the, the teachings and the sacraments and the spirituality all matter most when they are integrated into, of course, the lives of people. It's a living faith. Um, and that's the people power. And 
you have both the trusted uh, leaders with moral credibility, the Pope, bishops, and, and local lay leaders, perhaps, and also the wider sort of community of conscience that the, the Catholic community and other faith communities represent when they are living out their faiths and their beliefs. And finally, you have the, the, the transnational institution that's deeply rooted in particular contexts. And I, I often quote one of my a Mennonite colleague who has spent a lot of time. He's a he's a world-renowned uh, peace studies professor and also uh, activist who has trained a lot of Catholic leaders around the world in peace building. And he says that this ubiquitous presence of the Catholic Church is a real a really a distinctive contribution. He says there are a few places, and here he's talking about places like Colombia or Congo or the Philippines where the infrastructure and ecclesiology of church structure so neatly aligns with the multi-level and multifaceted demands of peace building. So those are the three kind of, that's the way I think of it, is those three dimensions of what the Catholic Church brings and many other faith traditions also bring to the peace building enterprise. Especially this last feature that you that you underpin, kind of the, the largest trans transnational mm -hmm. organization with with a very deeply and and, and local uh, rooting, uh, which is touching upon individual lives and, and, and singular communities, is definitely uh, very interesting. I think, um, Father Josh, sure. when it comes to to ecology, which is more your field, yeah. Um, Yourself and the church are producing uh, kind of a lot of articles, books, uh, even conferences on, on the ecological teaching of the church. Um, wh who is the audience of, of such, uh, let's say, intellectual production? And, and are, are you heard in, in certain policy circles? Yeah, uh, certainly, Boudou. And, and uh, the church's uh, most important pronouncement in the area of ecology is certainly the, the encyclical, I would say, the landmark encyclical Laudato Si, book for Francis, which was published on 24th of May, the Feast of the Pentecost in 2015. Uh, now, uh, two things about, you know, this encyclical. Uh, first of all, I think Pope Francis really brought about a change of paradigm, you know. Uh, we used to speak about environment, environmental problems, Uh, but Pope Francis, you know, Laudato Si takes this expression from St. Francis of Assisi, you know, may the Lord uh, be praised, and uh, the, the full canticle is, may the Lord be praised for Brother Sun, Sister Moon for creation. But it has also, it has a beautiful subtitle called On Care for Our Common Home. So I think the this paradigm changes that Pope Francis brings about is to remind us that earth is not just environment that we can you know swap one environment for another or you know is something outside of us that earth is our home and um, when i teach uh, courses, courses in theology and we read the, the first chapters of the book of genesis and we find something similar you know when god creates uh, adam and eve but uh, adam and eve were created at only at the very end of the seven, six days of creation. They come only on the sixth day uh, because God had to, you know, prepare this garden 
you know, sun and moon and the stars and water, plants and you know, animals. And only when this garden was ready, Adam and Eve were brought in. I also teach cosmology, and I find something very, very strikingly similar. You know, Earth is like 4.52 billion years old. Life began 3.89 billion years ago. And uh, we Homo sapiens sapiens, you know, we have, have arrived only around 200,000 years ago. Uh, you know, in a way, like you know, even hominids, you know, we, we came when this home was ready to be inhabited, and and that is, I think, is a very important uh, concept or message we need to recover. That Earth is our common home, which means in this common home we live as a common human family, biotic family. You know, uh, the, the second thing, very briefly about Laudato Si, that uh, you know, seeing how well it has been received around the world, you know from scientists, from politicians, you know, presidents, ambassadors, you know, from, from many, many, many segments of the of the human society. I think a key difference is also, was, was also the messenger. The message was, is important, is so relevant, uh, so timely, but also the messenger, you know, it, that came, it came from Pope Francis, who is, you know, people, many regard him as a very, very authentic, you know, Great moral religious leader. That's so. I think that also played a played a role. So, and uh, whom do we try to influence? You know, when we work in the area of ecology, uh, as Professor Powers was saying, it's again the the wide spectrum. Like you know, uh, beginning with the local churches, and then we and the dicastery where I work, for example, we all is sort of a mantra we repeat to ourselves that uh, that we are in the name of Pope Francis at the service of the local churches, you know, so their concerns and, uh, you know, the climate crisis or, you know, pollution, water scarcity, uh, these are global challenges, but the impacts are really felt at the local levels. So so we, we, we listen to them, we, we see what we, we can assist them, and also we also want to make sure they are protagonists, you know. So, so one uh, important constituency for us is, is, our, is our own local churches, but then also to influence public policy, we do work very much with uh, the United Nations, for example. You know, uh, in my in our area of ecology, with the United Nations Environment Program, and uh, you know, and they have like so we, we have very good contact good contacts with them and um, in the wider context of religions they have a, a group called faiths for earth and, uh, and and we 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 are also part of it so we we collaborate with them and, with, and then with uh, ngos i would say with you know with uh, because laudato si i think it's paragraph 13 for francis says, i want to invite everyone all people of goodwill you know it's again going back to the image that i used if earth is our common home we need all everyone. We need politicians. We need scientists. We need indigenous communities, youth, uh, policymakers, everyone to come together. And uh, if I might add one more little reflection, my own little experience in this area, like a few decades now, uh, is I think one mistake we made was to leave it just to you know politicians or to scientists, you know. Uh, whereas, you know, to recover, to heal our common home, we need everyone and we need as many perspectives as possible. You know, Laudato Si has a beautiful chapter, the second chapter called The Gospel of Creation. Uh, 
where Pope Francis, like a religious leader, he says, now let's look at the natural world as God's creation. And as, as Professor Powers was saying, that changes everything, you know, because then we recover our vision of the world as, as God's creation, as something sacred because it came from God's hands. And uh, I also say, like, uh, as also as a priest and as a cosmologist, you know, that the fact that, uh, you know, we are preparing for Christmas, that, that uh, God came, you know, John chapter 1, verse 14, you know, the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. So this is also God's home, like, you know. So so we, we work with various segments of society, governments, NGOs, UN organizations, all people of goodwill, but also we work to develop a liturgy, a spirituality, a theology, a politics, also an economics. I don't know, you are aware of the economy of Francesco that Pope Francis began, especially with young economists, and, but also with some of the top economists. We have Kate Roberts from Oxford as part of the economy of Francesco group. You know, so we also work at all these levels, and uh, I'm very since you also work in the area of policy making, very convinced that uh, economy politics are two crucial areas. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, so that's very interesting. Um, you, you mentioned you are working with with uh, the, the United Nations on, on the let's say intergovernmental level. Uh, that you do include some secular scholars as as key travel to to your works. Um, how how is this? Um, and and maybe there are similar examples in in all which is conflicts and peace building. Uh, how how are the um, the messages of of the Vatican received by by more secular instances? Um, are are they seen as um, as trying to promote a certain value agenda, or are they they welcomed uh, and 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 in general understood? Uh, let me. I'll jump in here. Um, uh, one, one, just brief point on the environmental uh, issue. Some people, some environmentalists, say the Pope is the world's number one environmentalist and most in, most influential environmentalist. I don't know if that's true, <laughs> but some people say that. Uh, in the in the United States, the Bishops Conference um, was a leader in in developing both scholarly work on the environment back in the beginning of the 1980s, um, but also promoting more advocacy and education advocacy around the environment. And they did that in, in collaboration with all the major religious institutions in this country um, who, who worked in a complementary way. They, everybody worked within their own community in their own distinctive way, but it was very effective. And one of the, one of the, Spinoff, so that is the Catholic Climate Covenant, uh, which represents all the major Catholic institutions in the United States that are working on issues of the environment. And among other things, uh, they, they work on both advocacy at the national level and encourage education at the local level. Uh, but they also are, are doing what they can to make the Catholic institutions more environmentally uh, sustainable. Uh, so they're they're promoting uh, the the use of solar power um, around the country and Catholic institutions on their rooftops and in their you know, fields and whatever. Um, and they're doing a, a lot of work to help the Catholic Church itself become more environmentally responsible uh, through its many institutions. Um, and the and the peace uh, front. Uh, one one good example of it varies by country and it varies by issue, but uh, one 
remarkable example is Colombia. Uh, I think Colombia is perhaps the, the best example of Catholic peace building in the world um, at all at all levels of the problem, and uh, also covering many of the different sectors involved. And so, an example of that is that when the uh, the formal peace agreement between the Colombian government and the, and the FARC uh, rebel group is now about five, six years old. Um, but that agreement uh, set up a national peace council as well as a territorial peace council, which is the territories that were formerly held by the FARC rebels. And, then, and the, the, the first president of the national peace council, which represented all the major actors from the UN, the Organization of American States, uh, to the Colombian government, the FARC rebels, and all the, made, the business community, all the major civil society groups, all the act, everybody involved in implementing the peace process was represented on this peace council. And that peace council is chaired, was chaired by, until recently, uh, by Monsignor Hector Fabio Now, who was head of both Caritas Colombia, uh, which is a major uh, charitable organization that the bish- under the bishops of Colombia, and also head of their peace and justice office, which is called National Social Pastoral. Um, and he, when he stepped down, his term was up as president of the National Council. He was elected to be president of the Territorial Peace Council, which is trying to implement the peace agreement in the territories. That's the most difficult part. And another another priest, a Jesuit, uh, Father Deru, uh, was head of the official truth commission that had been established by the peace agreement. Uh, and finally, uh, in bringing in the international connection, the University of Notre Dame's Kroc Institute, where I work, is the official body responsible for monitoring implementation of the peace accord. So we issue a major, we have a large staff here and in Bogota uh, con- based at the Bishop's Conference or connected to the Bishop's Conference. And we are the body responsible for issuing periodic reports on how well, what provisions of the peace agreement are being implemented and how well and et cetera. So uh, I think that's that's one example of the, the kind of contribution that the Catholic community can make toward peace building. Okay. And, and, and thank you. And Father Josh? Yeah, yeah, I, I would, uh, yeah, uh, compliment and to continue on this note. And you know, this last Sunday I was preaching a retreat for young people, and uh, what struck us was one paragraph in Laudato Si', this uh, paragraph ten, uh, where Pope Francis speaks of Saint Francis of Assisi, and uh, speaks of him of him as a as a pilgrim, uh, who who is also a model. Of peace, uh, what he would call the you know the the holistic peace, you know what we would say shalom in our religions, yeah. uh, because Pope, uh, Saint Francis, Pope Francis says Saint Francis uh, shows us a way to peace at four levels: uh, peace with the Creator, with God, uh, peace with creation, and we might think of John Paul Pope John Paul II's 1990 message for the world day of peace. Peace with God, the Creator. Peace with God, with the rest of creation. So how both these are connected. A third level will be peace among ourselves. So the wars that we are fighting, you know, at all this. And the fourth level, which I think is very important, uh, is peace with ourselves. Uh, and I was always, you know, impressed by one 
quotation from Pope Benedict, you know, the, the day he became Pope uh, in 2005. I was in the UK that time, but I remember watching, you know, following him on the television, his inaugural mass for the beginning of his pontificate. And Pope Benedict said that, that the external deserts are expanding because the internal deserts have become so vast. Uh, that's interesting, I think, especially for religious uh, traditions or faith, you know, faith traditions to to remember this, that uh, uh, the, the lack of peace, you know, the, the wars, the disharmony outside is very much a reflection of the disharmony within. So it's, it's interesting that, you know, Laudato Si and, and Pope Francis and, and all, I'm sure, all faith traditions I think of Mahatma Gandhi in India, since I come from India, you know, this peace at, at, at all these levels. So, so we, we need to, and we often forget that we are Antonio Guterres, even when, when he opened the summit on biodiversity a few days ago on 7th of December, Montreal, Canada, he said we are fighting the senseless war against nature, which is also a war against ourselves, you know. So I just wanted to add this dimension of, of integral peace, you know, this shalom. Uh, yeah. Well, I, I think that is very powerful. You just made the link between uh, between the two of you, uh, Professor Powers and, and, and Professor Josh, uh, that that ecology and peace uh, in the end is, is, is quite uh, close to each other. Um, I, I, I think those four levels of peace with with, uh, with with God for for believers, and then with with the, with the environment uh, amongst humans, and and with with uh, oneself, uh, it is very insightful. Thank you. And and I would uh, I would add to that uh, as another example, uh, the Catholic Peace Building Network recently published an edited volume on the relation on on mining, uh, because we've in working with the Catholic community and. In the Philippines and Colombia and Central Africa, a place like Congo, we uh, it was clear that mining was uh, both a source, sometimes a source of conflict, and oftentimes fueling conflict. And so we did a we did a book, uh, an edited volume that that looks at uh, the relation between looks at the mining problem uh, from a variety of perspectives, from an integral peace perspective an integral human development perspective and an integral ecology perspective and, and looks at how those different, how peace, integral development, integral ecology all relate to each other. Um, because if you, as the Pope says, uh, all is connected. And if you just look at one piece of that puzzle, say just the conflict piece or just the labor rights piece or just the environmental piece, you're not going to you're not going to be able to deal with the whole problem, and uh, so we've that's that's an example where, and there are many others where these different dimensions of um, the problem all come together. And and Catholic social one contribution I think the Catholic social teaching makes is it it really emphasizes the need to to have an integral approach to peace, an integral approach to development, integral approach to ecology and, and an integrated and then integrate those different integral approaches. Well, thank you. Um, I, I, I fear we are, we are rushing towards the end of the, um, of the discussion already, uh, which was very, very insightful. I, I maybe want to, to ask both of you a, a concluding question. 
Um, if you can briefly um, conclude by, by saying what role religion should play in the life of a polity uh, nowadays in the, in the 21st century um, and, and what its, uh, its mandate or what, its, um, what, what, what role it, it shall pursue. Yeah, maybe I, I can jump in. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I would say, as uh, the previous Pope, from John Paul II, and, and Pope Francis repeats in Laudato Si, I think the, the vocation of politics is to serve the common good. And uh, the common good is our common hope, is the good of each and every one. Like, you know, in the, I work in the dicastery for promoting integral human development, as, as Professor Paulso was saying, this, this uh, struggle or, you know, this effort to look at development in a, in a very integral, holistic perspective. And uh, so we, we insist very much on serving the entire human person in all the dimensions, spiritual, uh, cultural, human, economic, because uh, that's the beauty of being a human. You know, we have, there are so many dimensions. Uh, so we need to cater to all those dimensions, but also to the entire humanity that we take care of, you know, all segments. And I all, often tell my students, the best way to be inclusive is to begin with the weakest, you know. When we begin, it's like a chain. If uh, the weakest link is strengthened, then the chain is strong. Or in a family, when uh, a child or someone falls sick, the entire family comes around that. I think that's something that we are missing in politics today, both at the global and the international region levels, you know. Politics has become very much the interest of, of a small group, you know, a small, of a country or a, or a small block or, you know. You know, politics has to be at the service of the common good, but beginning with the weakest. And I see the example of Pope Francis is, is so attractive, he's so compelling, you know. He sits with the, with the, with the homeless, with the, with the poor, eats with him, and that is the way to embrace everyone. So I wish an inclusive, integral politics for our world today. Thank you. And, and if we're going to have that uh, inclusive, integral politics, um, the governments, the UN, uh, the Organization of American States, business community, others need to recognize that whether they like it or not, religion matters in the world. Religion is a uh, is one of many uh, key forces in world affairs. And so a, a lot of those institutions in society which have become highly secularized in their perspective need to have a bit of a challenge to develop religious literacy so that they understand better uh, what role religion plays, for example, with respect to conflict and peace? Is religion playing a, uh, a role in contributing to the conflict or is it playing a role in contributing to peace uh, or is it a combination of those, uh, both those in, in any particular situation? And one thing the Catholic Peace Building Network has been trying to do is to highlight uh, just with, about the, within the Catholic community the mostly unknown, unstudied, and unheralded work for peace that's going on all around the world. Um, but we also think that the Catholic community has a capacity to do much more than it's doing uh, on peace building. Um, so 
I think uh, religious actors, political actors, business actors, other actors in society, they all, we all have different missions and different roles. None of us have a corner on the, on the market when it comes to peace. Um, and we should, we should respect those different roles. We also have to understand each other because those roles are often complementary or overlapping. Um, I would think the one of the main roles that religious religion plays is to ensure that religion and morality are not uninvited guests and at an exclusive party that's restricted mainly to secular, political, economic, and military actors. Another important role is to remind the laity, and here I'm talking about the Catholic community, uh, that peace building is central to their faith and that they have the principal responsibility to live out their faith in their family lives, in their civic lives, in their work lives, in ways that helps build the political, military, economic, social, and cultural institutions and norms that promote integral peace, integral development, and integral ecology. So that's how I view the, the, the role of the church with respect to other actors in society. Thank you very much, uh, Professor Kuritadam, Professor Powers, uh, for joining the Oxford Policy Podcast and for all these uh, very insightful uh, messages in the midst uh, of the winter. Uh, so, so the key messages I take away is, is, um, is that the church can be seen as, as one of the largest international organizations with a very deeply rooted network, uh, which gives it uh, peculiar f- features in terms of influence, uh, that it is producing a global message, not only for uh, believers, but, but for the, the, the whole humanity. Um, I find it very insightful, this link made between peace and ecology, um, that ecology is, is, has to do with uh, peace uh, with the creation, peace between humans, peace uh, within oneself, um, and, and the role of religion as, um, as providing an example uh, of, of what it is to be at the service of the weakest in, in a political world which can be seen as very transactional in many occurrences. Um, and, and the challenge for, for actual leaders to increase their religious literacy if they want to, to make the most of, uh, of different uh, beliefs around the world uh, in serving public good issues. So thank you very much. Um, a summary of the main points of this podcast will, will be found in the description on Spotify and to our audience. Uh, remember to follow us on social media. You can can find us on Instagram, on Instagram at Oxford Policy Pod dash, and on Twitter at uh, Oxford Policy Pod. Like, share, comment, and have a very good afternoon.